Rice clean me up. Rice clean me up. I ain't got a stain and I'm feeling brand new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. clean me up. Rice clean me up. I ain't got a stain and I'm feeling brand new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Listen. Yeah. I ain't got a stain on me. Cause it's all by his grace, homie Gave his righteousness, now I'm spotless Didn't earn it, but I still got it, yeah Not by my works Now I'm in his church Ain't nothing I could earn Did it by his own, yeah, you know I didn't deserve I'm singing out Christ clean me up Christ clean me up I ain't got a stain and I'm feeling brand new, yeah, 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 Christ clean me up, Christ clean me up, I ain't got a stain and I'm feeling brand new, yeah, 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 Christ clean me up, I was headed to I was a mess, my goodness is unworthiness But now I'm feeling brand new I ain't worried about a thing He's glory, now I sing, yeah Got a new mind, got a new heart Glory to God, who art Worthy of all praises By tongue, tribes, and nations He dressed us in this white robe His righteousness we now clothe Glory to God and Christ alone Glory to God and Christ alone, yeah Does Andy Stanley believe that the Bible is inspired and infallible of God? Is that doctrine even important? Is it true? Well, let's talk about it here on All Things Theology. All Things Theology, All Things Theology, we chop it up properly without an apology. Gotta get that theology to God, hallowed because this is how we do it at All Things Theology. grace and peace and welcome back to another episode of all things theology well this is your host k-dub and today we're going to talk about andy stanley's view of the bible yes andy stanley recently gave a sermon of his where he uh has been going through actually a series about uh the uh, fundamentals i believe that's what the series is called the fundamentals of the faith and so lo and behold he got to a section that i found interesting and i thought would be good to do a review on and Andy Stanley's really going to give a summary. He's going to uh, really tell what he believes about the Bible and its importances or lack of or things we overemphasize and things like that. And so with that being said, let's actually get into the start of this sermon. Um, Fifteen years ago, I was at home watching a YouTube video of a, um, and a famous atheist. I won't, won't say his name. Um, who was- The atheist is uh, Sam Harris, by the way. He's actually given... He gave a talk a few years ago about this kind of same subject, how his view on the Bible changed because of this atheist, which was alarming in the, in itself. But I did a video review. We're not going to rehash and bring that up. Uh, if you'd like to check it out, I'll link to it in the description here. So let's keep going. Doing a lecture at a university. And basically, this wasn't the official title of, of his lecture, but essentially the theme of the lecture was the absurdity of Christianity and the crowd, these university students, they were going wild. I mean, every time he'd yeah. make a point and kind of take a jab. You get a group of atheists together to discuss anything about Christianity and you want to see the most rabid, irrational group of people. I mean, there are literally people that don't believe Jesus existed. Uh, one, of, you know, and, and like I said, and any argument is good for an atheist. Uh, I'll tell you one of the arguments I heard when I started first getting to atheist apologetics was you think Christianity is true? Then why do they all have these white Western names like Peter, Mac, uh, uh, Mark, Matthew, Luke, John? Those are <laughs> those are Western names, which is a very anachronistic, right? Um, and so, <laughs> any any argument for an atheist, a rabbit wanting to see the other side get nailed, atheist, any argument is good for them. So that's not really saying much. I would undermine Christianity. I mean, they just they just went crazy. And as I listened, I realized um, this was kind of a defining moment for me, really, in ministry. Um, no, the defining moment for his ministry was an atheist attacking the Bible. Therefore, he changed his views. I think that says a lot 
uh, about Andy Stanley and not the Bible, but let's keep going. I realized that his assumption, the thing he was basing this whole argument on, was an assumption that many, many Christians hold. In fact, all pretty much evangelical Christians, conservative Christians hold it. And Watch the assumption that all the rest of us, <laughs> uh, I'm glad he admits that he doesn't hold to this assumption, but watch the assumption that we're making. That's basically um, as it relates to the foundation of the Christian faith, what makes the Christian faith uh, viable or plausible or sustainable. And basically his assumption was that Christians believe that the Bible has no errors or, or to use the modern term that the Bible is inerrant. His assumption was an inerrant Bible and that all Christians believe the Bible is inerrant. And so, so the assumption that all you guys listening right now is that your Bible has no errors. Now, Andy Stanley, what's the assumption behind that? Andy Stanley believes there's quite a few errors, or at least at least some errors, uh, logically. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't see how this is supposed to gird someone's faith in what the Bible says. If you tell them, yeah, I mean, much of it's got some lies, and we, yeah, we know it's uh, not true. Uh, you know, yeah, some you know things false, but Jesus got it right when he said he's going to raise from the dead. <laughs> it would seem a a a uh, more coherent view was since Jesus got it right on a large thing like the resurrection, clearly he got it right on little smaller details as well, right? I mean, but we're gonna we're gonna dispel this notion that this is an assumption. Matter of fact, it's the assumption of the biblical writers that this is the case. That's that's actually the assumption. Let's go through a few scriptures. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen, right? The famous verse, and we'll actually dive more into this verse because he's going to bring it up. But this is a true verse. Notice what it says: All Scripture is theanustos, right? Breathe out by God. We'll we'll elaborate down that more. And profitable for teaching, for repute, for correction, for training in righteousness. So so listen to this: If the Scripture, well no, well let's acknowledge one what this verse is saying the scripture source is god literally that's what the breathe out will now provide more evidence for that in, when we get, when he brings it up so since the scripture is the source of god therefore it's profitable for teaching but guess what if the if the scriptures had many errors in it it could not be profitable for teaching not not um in every case it cannot be profitable for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness in every case. Why? Because it has so many errors in it or has errors that will lead you astray in some areas if you follow it. According to Andy Stanley's logic, right? According to Andy Stanley's logic. Another verse that I like to bring up, 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21. It says, knowing this, first of all, <laughs> I love that verse. I love that phrase. It's like Peter's trying to grab your attention. First of all. Get this understood, right? No prophecy of scripture come from someone's own interpretation, right? But he elaborates even further. For no prophecy was ever. You take all the prophecies in scripture, right? Obviously the true ones, right? Uh, scripture records false prophecies of man's, right? Talks about their false prophecies, but obviously we get the point of Peter. For no prophecy was ever prophesied, was ever produced by the will of man but and this is this is this is what we mean when we talk about the inerrancy of scripture we're not acknowledging man's role in it so when people say man wrote the bible well yeah that's what the bible says <laughs> that's not a gotcha point that's the bible told me that right men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit that's the part we need to keep in mind Yes, man wrote the Bible. We acknowledge that. But the ultimate, the true source, the true originator of the scripture is God. God used man to pin down ultimately what he wanted. No, they were not robots when they were writing the scripture. God can still use men's personality, right? And produce what he wants. He doesn't have to control man to get his total outcome like that. He got his outcome. John 17, 17, I want you to hear the, the underlining assumption of Jesus in this verse. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Notice the assumption. Jesus states the ability of the scripture 
the word of God is able to sanctify them because it is true. If the scriptures were not true, it would not have the ability to actually sanctify us. Why? Because it would lead us down a plethora of errors. Next verse. Next verse. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus says, but he answered, it is written. I love this phrase. What is written? Well, (laughs) Jesus quotes scripture when he says this. Right now, Andy doesn't like that. He doesn't like that. The scriptures, a lot of times, you know, the Bible say, as the scriptures say, as it is written, thus saith the Lord. Andy doesn't like that. He wants to root it in a just a historical narrative. Mark said, Matthew said, John said. No, man, God said, right. Man shall not live by bread alone, but. Right. So food is ultimately not our ultimate substance. Right. How we get by day to day. Food is necessary. That's the verse is not acknowledging that it's acknowledging food is necessary. You shall live by bread, but not bread alone. But contrast. By every word. Not some words. Remember, we've already established Biblically, that the source of the scripture is God himself. Every word that comes from the mouth of God, therefore, it cannot be a lie. Andy Stanley. Man, just so much that demonstrates that Hebrews 6, 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So it's speaking about God established in Hebrews 6. The argument is God is establishing uh, the argument upon himself. Why? Because he cannot lie. <laughs> he cannot lie. You can trust in God, right? Because he does not lie. Um, guys, a, a plethora of verses I could bring to you demonstrating the point, but I, I feel like the scripture writers, time would fail me. <laughs> how much time you got? Essentially, is that verse. How much time you got? I, we, would, we would run out of time. We, we have to move on to other things. We can belabor our point. But the scriptures clearly speak of this issue of the inerrancy. And I'm going to, again, we're going to go further, but let's continue with that uh, section he gave. He went along and just showed all the errors in the Bible. So his, in his ar- But notice for Andy, he's even buying the assumption of the atheist. That, oh, he just showed all these errors of the, in the Bible. Andy's like, yeah, I mean, he just showed them. Alleged errors, right? argument was if there's one error in the bible well then you can't say the bible's true and if the bible isn't true then the bible can't be trusted i mean the atheist is right on that point since the bible claims to be from god therefore if the bible's filled with lies and contradictions you would be attributing that to god himself andy the atheist isn't wrong on the assumption that's what the bible teaches andy does not want to stand on the word of god and in my opinion, in my experience, it's generally because people are embarrassed about the word of God on certain issues. And if the entire Bible isn't true mathematically, historically, and scientifically, then clearly it's not from God. And we should just dispense with the Bible and ultimately just dispense with Christianity. Because according to his misguided assumption, and again, this is misguided. an assumption that many, many Christians hold, his assumption was that the legitimacy of Christianity, it's kind of a clunky statement, but the legitimacy of Christianity of Christianity sits precariously atop a collection of errorless or inerrant, errorless ancient texts. Let me now ask yourself, is this a, is this, does this sound like a person who believes the Bible can be trust, trust, trusted in every, in every area and what it speaks to authoritatively, Right. Does this sound like someone who actually believes the Bible? I'll let you answer that. Just read that for you again, that the the legitimacy of Christianity, the thing that makes Christianity legit is is that it sits precariously atop a collection, an ancient collection of ancient, errorless, perfect, inerrant texts. That if there is one error in the Bible, then Christianity becomes indefensible, that it's a house of cards. Now, this is not true. Yeah, exactly like I said. 
It doesn't sound like a person who believes that. <laughs> Andy says, well, there could be numerous errors in the Bible and God's word still be true. I mean, I don't know how you have error, true statements. I mean, that, that doesn't make sense. An error, an error text from God. I mean, let, let your mind ravel what that even even means. Which comes as a relief to some of you and sounds like heresy to others of you. <laughs> Definitely inaccurate because it would not be biblically true. Uh, I mean, logically even true. Uh, but we're going to continue on with this. Um, Andy believes that the doctrine of inerrancy is a new idea. You know, you have the Chicago statement of inerrancy. Uh, I believe what that was in like the 60s, something around there. Uh, around that time period, forgive me on the date of that, but, but nevertheless, in the last, um, you know, last century for, for, uh, Andy Stanley, well, I'm going to show how that, that is not true. There, there have been many people in church history that have written and described the Bible as inerrant, obviously without using that word, because yeah, the word is a new thing in some sense applying to the scriptures, but they definitely believe that the scriptures were without error. And I'm going to prove that. So, but let's hear from Andy first. And oftentimes these new and novel ideas get elevated to the notice what he calls the inerrancy of scripture, new and novel, new and novel idea status of doctrine or dogma, or these are essentials. You've got to believe this. And if you reject some of these new and novel ideas, you're not even considered a Christian new anymore. New and novel. You can't even be a part of that faith tradition. You can't be a part of that church. And they elevate, we elevate these new and novel ideas to the point where they're at, you know, at the same level with the deep. Now I'll tell you, I'll tell you, oh, let me back because I want him to finish that. But let me tell you what's actually more of a new and novel idea, which goes back a few centuries, is attacks on the Bible from alleged Christians you know, spinning from things out of German higher level criticism, which, uh, you know, man, there could be a whole video on that. But let's continue. The point where they're at, you know, at the same level with the deity of Christ and, you know, some of the things. You can't raise the Bible to the level of the deity of Christ. Let me let me uh, let me let me tell you something. Uh, um, Andy Stanley. You don't have the deity of Christ without the inerrancy of scripture. If the Bible is not true, right? So many areas. How do you know that the, what the scripture writer said about the deity of Christ is actually correct? Since matter of fact, you know, Andy Stanley is open to the idea that you could have errors in the Bible from God. I, I, I want to put that challenge on you and to anyone who believes that the Bible is inerrant or errant as a Christian. We all know. And, and I know, yeah, atheists obviously believe the Bible's errant. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're discussing this. It's the in-house conversation or alleged. <laughs> ...are essential. And when this happens, when non-essentials begin to characterize or define a group of churches or a church or a denomination, thoughtful, honest people, thoughtful, honest people of faith... Thoughtful, honest people sometimes feel like, you know what, I got to I got to step back from my church. I've got. So if you say that the Bible's inerrant, right, without error, you'll cause people to leave the church. <laughs> I would actually say it's the other way around. Step back from my faith tradition. I've got to step away from my denomination. I still believe in God and I, I, I still believe in Jesus, but I'm not sure that approach is the approach. I've got to sort out for myself what is essential and what's not, what's fundamental and what's not. It is my experience that people who deny the inerrancy of scripture do so not because they've come to some conclusion based on the scriptures, but rather they've accepted some sin that the Bible clearly calls sin that they don't believe anymore. That is my general experience. Well, again, he called the Bible inerrancy of scripture a new and modern idea right so we shouldn't be able to see this very early on in the church right according to Andy Stanley again he said it he said it not me right uh well that's the very thing we do see in scripture uh Irenaeus attributes the perfect nature of scripture to the fact that they were inspired by God he says quote we should leave things for an unknowable nature to God who creates us being most assured that the scriptures are indeed perfect since. And he noticed he gives his reason. 
the very same reason I gave. See, it, doesn't it feel good to be aligned with the Bible and church history? It does. Notice his reason. Since so they are indeed perfect since they were spoken by the word of God and his spirit that is in against heresies. Um, again, he goes on to conclude uh, the writing to the uh, to the Corinthians Clement of Rome exhorts his readers. Sorry, this is uh, in Clement of Rome. Look carefully into the scriptures. Now, this is actually going to bite Andy Stanley because he says, if you believe in errancy, you, you, you just kind of got to, you know, shake your head to it and don't look deep into things. Well, notice what Clement of Rome says. Look carefully into the scriptures, which are tr- which are the true utterances of the Holy Spirit. Watch what he goes on to say. Observe that nothing of an unjust or counterfeit character is written in them. Again, this is in his first epistle to the Corinthians. Uh, But again, notice what he says. True utterances of the spirit are are talking about the God, about uh, the scriptures and nothing unjust or counterfeit is written in them. I want to, I want you to ask yourself a question. Could Andy Stanley say any of the things that I'm reading to you now from these men in church history? Well, Again, I'll let you be the determiner of that. Jerome, or sorry, uh, Augustine stated in his letter to Jerome, uh, listen to this. For it seems to me that most disastrous consequences must follow upon our believing that anything false is found in the sacred scriptures. (laughs) He says there's, there's some dangerous consequences in that. That is to say that the men by whom the scripture has been given to us and committed to writing did put down in these books anything false right he says that's a dangerous consequence or a disastrous consequence right it is one question whether it may be at any time the duty of a good man to deceive right but it is another question whether it can whether it can have been the duty of a writer of holy scripture to deceive right yeah that goes up even further <laughs> For if once you admit into such a high sanctuary uh, of authority, one false statement as made in the way of duty, there will be not left a single sentence of which, or sorry, it, there may not be a single sentence of the, of those books, which if appearing to anyone difficult in practice or hard to believe may not be the same fatal rule be explained away as a statement in which unintentionally and under a sense of duty, the author declared what was not true. Again, uh, very clear. The argument uh, Augustine is making it more of a presuppositional argument that it cannot be that the statement, uh, the, the, the uh, scriptures are false. Um, again, in a letter to Jerome, Augustine writes again, I have learned to yield this total respect and honor only to canonical books of scripture. I mean, that's a that's saying a lot too. That I mean, even even then, that's a sola scriptura argument as well. You can keep that in your bag. He says, of these alone, do I most firmly believe that their authors were completely free from error. Again, uh, new and novel ideas. Uh, Andy Stanley wants you to believe. Do not believe the man behind the screen, right? The man behind <laughs> Wizard of Oz, uh, you know, uh, reference there. But Andy Stanley moves on in the sermon to talk about the fundamentals. Well, he has seven fundamentals that he wants to give you. So let's hear him out on this list. So you don't need to write these down. I'm just going to hit them quick. So here's what we've put on the fundamental list so far. These are the things that are essential to believe to be a faithful follower of Jesus because these are the things that Jesus said were essential. Number one, that Jesus is God's son and our king. That's what he claimed about himself. Now, this is the only real reference to the nature of Jesus. But and I would I would tell you this woefully falls short and or at best, it's not very clear because there are all sorts of people who deny the deity of Christ who give lip service to uh, Jesus' sonship, right? The kingship of Jesus. So Andy would have to give clarity on what he means. If this is just some kind of just vague reference to include people even who deny the deity of Christ, obviously I reject that. Is Jesus God, Andy? 
is that essential to your fundamental list? Because he may believe Jesus is God, but it's not a fundamental. You know, obviously I would reject that. Jesus says, you know, unless you believe I am, you will perish in your sin. Um, and so, yeah, obviously Jesus is God's son. He's our king. But what is the nature of the son? That Jesus came to illustrate and demonstrate, number two, that Jesus came to illustrate and demonstrate what God is like. That's what he claimed for himself, that Jesus defined. So he, he came to give some kind of morality. That's a fundamental list for um, Andy. And number three, Jesus defines sin as anything that harms you or others. And you That's not what Jesus defines sin as. Jesus defines sin like sin has been <laughs> from always the breaking of God's law, right? Jesus always would go to what the scriptures say is rooted in the scriptures, Andy, not just this uh, uh, moral relativism, subjectivity of anything that harms you. E even that subjective. What you believe may be harmful to uh, you and others can be different than your neighbor. So, again, Jesus was not a moral relativist. He believed there was an, an objective nature to what sin is and it was rooted in god's word the very thing andy stanley says to you could be full with errors you discover that as you read the gospels that jesus number four promised justice in the end and invites us to trust him and trust our heavenly father in the meantime one thing you won't see in this is repentance turn from your immorality your sin i'm going to provide some reason why that may not be but then number five is where most people, I think, thought we would begin. But number five, Jesus died for your sin to reconcile you to God. And the reason it was later in the list is because we followed Jesus through the Gospels. And these are pretty much chronological in terms of what he revealed about himself and what he revealed, revealed about the Father. And then number six, Jesus said, I've come to establish my ecclesia, my church. And the church is God's agent of transformation. So I'm guessing this is some kind of view of uh, sanctification. So personally, culturally, and ultimately, globally. And then number seven, the last time we were talking about the list, that Jesus' followers are multipliers. I'm guessing this is some form of discipleship. Because at the end of his earthly ministry, he said, now I want you to go into all the world. That's why we say the church is God's catalyst for transformation globally. I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to teach people what I taught you. I want you to teach people to obey what I've asked you to obey. You know what you don't see in Andy Stanley's list? Again, an explicit reference to the deity of Christ. Salvation by grace. Uh, I guess maybe there could be some, some reference to salvation by Christ alone, but the resurrection's missing. <laughs> the resurrection is completely missing. Uh, what about the triune God? Uh, this truncated view of Andy Stanley's fundamental list is it's just it's just that it's truncated. It actually has no brevity to uh, many of the things we believe. I, much of that could be shared by different religions um, outside of the. I mean, Mormonism could agree with everything on that list. I mean, Jehovah's Witness. I mean, so. This list is, which is fundamental, includes heretical groups. Isn't that odd? Well, Andy Stanley says an argument that has been used by numerous uh, people who deny things like Sola Scriptura, uh, obviously Roman Catholics. I, I just want you to hear this real quick. And what would be your answer to this? So today we come to the Bible. And this one's a little bit different because obviously during Jesus' ministry, there was no the Bible the way we think in terms of the Bible. So in Jesus's day, there was no Bible, right? In the way we think of Bible, which I mean, it's kind of, kind of irrelevant. What what is, you know, we have to ask our question, what is Bible? Now, it is true that there was no full canon of scripture, if that's what he means. But it is not true that there was no Bible in the day of Jesus. When God speaks and men start to write God's word down, you have Bible. So when Genesis 1-1 was penned, you had Bible. You didn't have a full canon of the Bible. No one's arguing that. But they did have Bible. Jesus was quoting, thus saith the Lord, quite often. It, th that argument, it just makes no sense that why he would say this. 
when it clearly is the case that there was Bible. Um, let's hear this argument here because oh, we get into a view of inspiration and he says, well, Paul never really defines what he means by inspiration. And so we're going to take a look at this right here. Now, most evangelicals, and I, I'm considering myself an evangelical Christian, uh, most evangelicals... Is it me or is it not playing? Can y'all hear that? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Most evangelicals, oh, and I, I'm considering myself an evangelical Christian, uh, most evangelicals um, hold to some view of biblical inspiration or biblical... Some view. I mean, <laughs> that says a lot infallibility or the term we used a minute ago biblical inerrancy and of course the apostle paul says that all scripture is inspired but he doesn't define what he means by inspired i would totally disagree um i would totally disagree let's let's take a look at my screen right here let's look at second timothy three sixteen. right uh pasai grafe theanostas right every scripture god breathed <laughs> let's look at this uh term god breathed theanostas Look, literally, God breathed, inspired by God. But actually, there's some helpful word studies, some helpful uh, lexicons who go further on defining what it what it really means. Um, this source right here, referring to the divine inspiration, the in breathing. So literally, the out the out product of Scripture is God. Literally, just <sighs> that's what you had. That's the 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 uh, imagery we get with this this god just just breathing out is the product of scripture and therefore since that's the case right some lexicons refer to this as the the divine origin has its source in god himself um again so no i would totally disagree that you know we we you know paul doesn't really define what insp uh theonostos means because this is only the only time i'm familiar with this uh the theonostos being used so ultimately and he's saying, we have no clue what this word means. Which, again, if you follow the, the reasoning of Paul, since it's able to instruct, teach, it's profitable, and the source is God, therefore, one could conclude there is no errors. So I, 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 to, I totally categorically reject. Uh, we have no clue what uh, Theonosos means, right? Well, we, we get to another argument he gives about uh, inerrancy isn't essential. So if you believe that the Bible... Is without errors. That's fine. That's you. Do you right? Andy Stanley would say, but don't make that some kind of list where people need to uh, believe in, right? They don't need to believe the Bible's without errors. And the bottom line, in terms of what a person must believe about the Bible in order to be a follower of Jesus, it's really this simple. You just have to believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke. Or John. But, but why does it say or John? So so is, is he is he saying notice what said Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John are reliable accounts of actual events. Is he saying if you just like Matthew, you can choose that one and reject Mark, Luke, or John? That's what it sounds like. I am a big grammarian. <laughs> I am big on accurately saying grammatically what is true. I understand sometimes we misspeak, but this was written down. Right? So it seems the argument is here. You can pick one out of four of these gospel narratives um, and do away with the other, I guess, if you don't like them. I, I, I don't know. Are reliable accounts of actual events. That's it. That's it. You just have to believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is a reliable account of an actual event. Because if you... Not, not what you know what the bible says about itself that it is of god right able to uh where is that in uh andy stanley's view of scripture because it seems from what's on the screen that the bible is just an accurate account of what humans dictated from what humans observed and wrote doesn't that just it is very just surface level for andy andy do then you will also believe that Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be the son of God and our king. But Andy, hold on, sir. If the Bible is full of errors, why are they right on that point and not other stuff? <laughs> See, I understand you want to kind of uh, widen the net. And we're going to get to that part in a little, little, little later. You want to widen the net for all these unbelievers and people who struggle with this doctrine. 
But the point is, it turns back around on you when you want to declare something is true. Why is this the case? Why is it true, Andy, that Jesus is the king, that he's God? Why is it true? You've Well, you've already given up a, a strong view of inspiration and infallibility. So saying the scriptures say so is actually undercutting your own argument, Andy. I, I, I You know, I don't want to attack his intelligence, but has he thought about these things? I mean, I'm very sure he's a brilliant guy, but I mean, this doesn't help your case, sir. And everything we've stated in this series follows from that one idea. It means that what he said about God is true. What he said about you is true. And what he said. But Jesus rooted those things in scripture. Citing Old Testament texts. To gird his argument, Andy. Girding about you and what the Bible says. Male, female. Oh, that's Genesis too. Girding all this and what the Bible says. Jesus isn't just making this stuff up. <laughs> he's giving you, he's breaking you really down. About the Hebrew scriptures that we would call the Old Testament is also true. And said that it was, yeah, yeah, he said that it was true. Not with, not with errors in it, Andy. So you're not even believing Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John on this point. That Christianity does not rise or fall. Christianity does not rise or fall on our ability to prove that the Bible is without error. Well, I would agree with that. It's not on my ability to prove it. It's on the truthfulness of Scripture. I mean, somebody could be a terrible defender of something. It doesn't, it doesn't falsify. It doesn't uh, uh, make something false. So, I mean, sure, but I think I know what you're trying to argue there. People were following Jesus 300 plus years before the first Bible was ever assembled again this is false this is false there was a bible in jesus's day but if what he's saying oh a new testament bible people knew there was a new people knew i mean even peter ascribes uh scripture to paul's writings and you go through go read you a uh new testament uh some new testament of canon history New Testament reliability, things like that. Read Kruger, read Bruce, read Metzger. They'll all tell you this. There was a working New Testament canon already formulating in the church. Now, of course, it took time for these things to uh, spread in and widen out. This might be sh <coughs> this might be shocking. There was no uh, Twitter. There was no newspaper that can get you around the world. So, sure, it took time for these things to um, you know circulate. That's no question. But the issue is. Uh, was there a New Testament canon? Absolutely. The Bible even tells you that. The Bible even tells you that. First century Christians follow Jesus, and you know this because we talk about it all the time. First century Christians follow Jesus because of the resurrection. Now, and, and we're going to get into this in a bit. They believe what the Bible said about the importance of the resurrection. Andy, what is it good news that some guy raised from the dead? I mean, what does that tell you? <laughs> you you know there have been many uh, alleged resurrection uh, accounts. Jesus raised from the dead. Okay, so what, Andy? Well, the Bible tells us of the importance. You know, prophecy fulfillment, messianic promise. Uh, who raised from the dead? All these things. Why he raised from the dead? Your sin. All all these things are attributed. It's not just Jesus rose from the dead, Andy. I know you just want. Well, Jesus raised from the dead. Well. Okay, we have the why, the who, the what, the when, the, you know, we have all that. <laughs> is there a case to be made? Is there a case to be made for the inerrancy, the errorless? <laughs> now watch this. This is, I found this quite funny. ...of the scriptures? Absolutely. And if you will give me three weeks of your undivided attention, I can make that case. And he's like, I can make that case. I don't believe it, but the case can be made. Sure. <laughs> okay. Because I have studied under the master. But is this view of the Bible essential in order to be a follower of Jesus? No. So, yeah, you, you, you know, you don't have to believe the Bible is. Yeah, I mean, you can believe it's from God, but I guess God spoke with a lisp. 
and, and that he uh, or not a list, but a double talk. Right. He, he said something, but it might not have been actually true, especially to our modern, sophisticated age. You know, we have Google and Google told me that it was not true. So therefore, the Bible is in error. Anyways, let's keep moving on. <laughs> so I want you to listen to these words. You may have read these before, heard these before, but listen within the context of this topic, of this conversation we're having today. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said this, if Christ... I want you guys to pay attention to what is being said here. This could not be further from the truth from what Andy is about to say, but let, let, let me let him make the argument. Christ has not been raised, raised from the dead. Our preaching, talking about his preaching and the preaching of the apostles, Peter and John and James back in Jerusalem. Our preaching is useless. Notice where he starts at, though. Verse 14. But let, 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 let me allow him to continue. Wait, 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 Paul. This, I mean, this is hyperbole. I mean, you don't mean that. I mean, you've been traveling all around the Mediterranean rim, creating all these churches in Ephesus and Thessalonica and, and all these, and, and there are Christians in Rome now. You're telling me that all this preaching about Christianity, all this Christian preaching is useless based on a single event that happened outside of Jerusalem? He'd say, yeah, the whole thing and that's not what Paul is actually saying or arguing. He's not saying, well, it's, as long as Christ raised from the dead, that's 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 it. And I'm going to prove that in a second, but I'll let him continue. So way, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he doubles down. He said, and not only is my our preaching useless, so is your faith, <laughs> to which we would say, wait a minute, you you can't tell me my faith is useless. We've never even met. He's like, if your faith is in Jesus, it's useless. It's a fairy tale. You're just making stuff up. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and he's still not done. A few verses later, he says this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Whoa, 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 Paul, but I asked Jesus to be in my heart. It doesn't matter. But I believe in Jesus, Paul said, it doesn't matter. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Jesus isn't who he claimed to be. The whole thing rises and falls on the event outside of the walls of Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified, and then two and a half or three days later, rose from the dead it doesn't matter what you now he's right the the resurrection is essential that grounds our faith but but his reasoning for how why is wrong and i'm going to show you hold on believe if you're putting your faith in someone who claimed things about himself that just aren't true your sin still stands between you and god his point is simply this as we've said so many times but the foundation of our faith is an event that launched a movement that assembled the Bible. Now, this is where he, he gets wrong. Well, there are some errors he made a, a second, but watch. That the foundation of our faith is the event of the resurrection that launched a movement, the church, the ecclesia of Jesus. And eventually it was the ecclesia of Jesus, the church, in the fourth century that assembled the first Bible. And, and again, that's not true. There was already a Bible in Jesus's day. I mean, what do you think they were reading in the temples? <laughs> so the, the daily, the daily uh, blogs? No, they were reading Bible, scripture. So is the Bible important? <laughs> Extraordinarily important. But while, the, because, but while the Bible is not the foundation or while the Bible is not the foundation of our faith, it is certainly extraordinarily, extraordinarily relevant to our faith. So the Bible is not the foundation of our faith, but it's is is important. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge why Andy started in verse uh, 14. I think there's a reason for that, uh, and let me show you it here. It's uh, notice what this says. Notice what this says. Now I will remind, starting at verse four, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel preached to you, which you received and which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. This is the crux argumentum. For I deliver to you of first importance that which I also receive. Now, there's there's a very uh, strong argument that could be made by many scholars that this was like some form of a, a credo argument that this, you know, but notice what Paul is saying. He received this. But but watch this. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. 
Don't you just love the Bible? I love the Bible, right? I love the Bible. Christ didn't just die for our sins and we have, hey, I mean, Jesus said he died for our sins. That's it. In accordance with the scriptures, the the scriptures foretells all this. This is messianic fulfillment, prophetic promises. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance. Andy, you need to hear this in accordance with the scriptures. So Andy wants to root the scriptures away from the foundation. But that's the very thing that the Apostle Paul girded, rooted his argument right here. We do not have a disconnected. uh, uh, I mean, yeah, this guy claimed to be the Messiah. I mean, he claimed to rise from the dead. I, I guess we should believe in him. No, that's prophetic promises, messianic fulfillment. In accordance with the scriptures. You take the Bible away from that. Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. Why should I care? (laughs) Right? Why should I care? Some guy raised from the dead. It's only when you attach the Bible to that. Oh, this is what has been promised all along. This is what God has been saying since Genesis 3.15. Right? That the serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. This is the proto-evangelium, the first gospel now has been fulfilled. This is what God has been doing through redemptive history. Showing these typological resurrections, right? With Elijah, Elisha, right? Showing these these, uh, prototypical fulfillments, these, these priests, prophets, kings, which have their fulfillment in Christ. They're all pointing to him. And that's why Jesus could say, beginning with the law and the Moses law, right? The law and the prophets, he exegeted and explained how they pointed to himself. Luke 24, 44. Go and read it. This is why. Is you get rid of the Bible, you get rid of scripture. I mean, you say there's so many errors in this. You get rid of all that. All of that. This, this, is what, this is what John proclaimed when he saw him. Behold, this is the Lamb of God. Well, what, what does that mean? I Lamb of God. We, he rose from the dead, right? <laughs> Lamb of God is rooted in what the Bible says, the Old Testament picture of what Christ is to be. The, the, the one whom... The sins are laid on his head in exchange for us. Oh, oh, so beautiful. But it's only beautiful in light of what the Bible says. Andy, do not undergird the Christian faith for your modern liberalism. We got reasons why I believe that's the case. But sorry, I'm I'm preaching now. Hey, I'm preaching now, man. Let's continue in this because now you're going to get the old straw man and ad hominem attack, right? We got we to gotta put a little emotionalism in it. Okay, first of all, I don't even care about this. You know, this isn't helping me. And some of you are thinking, why belabor this and risk your reputation? Okay, Andy, there's already people that don't like us. Um, you know, there are people who are very critical of me and critical of you because you attend a church where I preach and they call you all kinds of names. Don't look it up, okay? It's, it's horrible. But anyway, because they just assume that you're not very smart, you're not intelligent. And again, I'm like, are you kidding? We have the smartest Christians in America that attend <laughs> our church because we're talking about important things and deep things and, you know, mind-bending kinds of things. That's why I feel confident and free to even talk about something like this. So, Oh, they just think you're not smart and intelligent and they say nasty things about you that ain't true. They gotta be so nasty, right? <laughs> This has nothing to do with intellectualism. Some of the smartest people in the world deny the most clear biblical truths. Again, you could be smart, worldly speaking, have a lot of intellectualism. I don't care. That's not the point at hand. The issue is, what does the Bible teach? And the Bible teaches it is inerrant. So let's continue on right quick. When a specific view of inspiration that is so narrowly defined, when a specific view of of inspiration is elevated to the status of doctrine. Now, notice what it says. When a specific view. So uh, Andy doesn't believe you should have any view that's, I guess, essential. I mean, so believe whatever you want about the Bible. I mean, very, very telling, right? You're in or out based on this particular view of inspiration or definition of inspiration. Here's what happens. 
This is a tragedy. Listen to this, guys. Listen to this, because this is why I'm, I'm responding to this. Statements like this. This may be why you left faith. The Bible becomes an obstacle to faith for some people. The Bible is an obstacle to faith for some people. So, so, so I guess the way we get around that is we tell them, you don't have to believe everything in it. You don't like what Jesus says about sin? Hey, that's fine. I don't either. (laughs) Yeah, you ain't got to believe that part. Just believe he rose from the dead. Oh, you don't like he's God? That's fine. That's fine. Any view of inspiration, hey, no, we we can cut that out. We can be uh, modern day Martianists, right? Who was a Martian? Martian wanted to cut out some of the Bible because he didn't like a lot of that Old Testament stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we've known Andy Stanley to be one to unhitches from the Old Testament, right? He is a modern day Martianist. The early church rejected that view. No, we're not cutting the scriptures off. Even the stuff that, you know, hey, uh, we don't do a lot of ceremonial stuff. That's been fulfilled. It's still important. We can still learn from it. (sighs) The Bible itself. this 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 is tragic. The Bible. Tragic becomes the obstacle to faith in Jesus. Hmm. Because when we narrowly define inspiration and raise it up and put it on the top shelf of an essential, basically, we shut down people's questions. Well, I don't understand that. Well, that's what God... Well, let let me deal with something real quick. So if we we have... (laughs) I'm arguing this was Jesus' view. If we have Jesus' view of Scripture, which is the highest view of Scripture, might I add? I mean, let's be honest. At some level, I don't view the scriptures as high as I should. That's part of the problem. So pretty much he said, hey, if we believe in Jesus view of scripture, we're going to run them off. So pragmatism says, well, we don't want to run them off. So therefore, let's lower our view of scripture. That'll keep them. My friends, one, no, it won't because you what you what you win them with, you'll keep them with. You think saying there's only a few errors is going to keep people they need more. I, I, I don't like much of what the Bible says, but I believe Jesus was a good prophet and preacher and, you know, man of his day. Right. A high view of scripture, the high view of Jesus does not fit into the modern liberal of today. You're never going to please them. So guess what? If they run off, hey, so be it. Blessed is the one who's not offended by what he says. Amen. Basically, we shut down people's questions. Well, I don't understand that. Well, that's what God said. So uh, he says, hey, if you believe that the Bible is infallible, you're going to shut down people's questions, right? Because, hey, after all, just God said it and you you don't go into any depth, even though I showed a uh, view from church history. Let's see if I can refine that again, right? Because uh, this was not the case for the early church. They didn't just say, hey, the Bible says it and then... um, uh, we, we, we don't have to, you know, believe any of the, we don't have to dive into any of the depths, right? Um, no, that was not the case. Uh, oh, yeah, it was, it was uh, Clement of Rome. He says, looking carefully into the scriptures, right? That was the view of the early church. And he believed that the Bible was perfect. So a view of believing that the Bible is without error does not cause you to say, the Bible is the word of God and I'm a robot and I can't do indie study into it. No, you know why it fuels my uh, depth? Because I trust no matter how deep into the ocean I go, I am not going to find any error. I am not going to find any error. I can go deep with no fear <laughs> because the word of God is true. And no matter how deep into that ocean, I will not find something that's ugly. I won't find the sea monster in the bottom of the depths that's going to run me off. I am safe in the depths and the study of God. Amen. From him to him, through him are all things. The, the scriptures have the depth to make one wise. Right. We can, Let's study the word of God. That's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. This channel and things like you guys who watch this channel, we keep pointing out the problem 
is people not studying the word of God. Not studying the word of God and finding, oh, look at all these errors. <laughs> when you don't study the word of God, you see all these errors. So can I, I can't ask any questions. No, that's just what God said. We eliminate questions. We el said no one ever. Eliminate curiosity. And Christians should be the most curious people on the, in the universe. We eliminate questions. We eliminate curiosity. And we eliminate honesty. Because here's what I know about some of you who are raised like me. There are things in here, it's like, I just don't read that part. Yeah, that's the problem. We have taught many people, and he's about to uh, postulate this view. We've taught people, you know, oh, yeah, don't read the Leviticus and the, the number stuff. Ah, yeah. Read the red letter only. Right? Which all of it is red letter. <laughs> all of it is. I don't even. I don't like the red letter Bible because it puts in people's mind. See, this is what Jesus is speaking, and that rest is just uh, other men. All of it is red letter. It's all from God. But no, I, I don't have. I don't. I don't like the view that says just stay in the Gospels. No, my friend, you need to read Genesis through Malachi. You need to read uh, Matthew to Revelation. You need to read it all. Read and immerse yourself in all of scripture. Preach the full counsel of God. Isn't that what the apostle Paul said? I'm not guilty of not preaching to you the full counsel of God, but we are Christians been, been saved 10, 20 years. Hasn't even read the whole Bible yet. You've been saved 10, 20 years and haven't read all the scripture. What are you doing? Get off the Twitter. Matter of fact, get off this video. Go read your Bible. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm amped up about this because this is important. We should be reading all of our Bible. God has preserved it all. The, the work of God to go to preservation, the early church to preserve the word of God. And you think you don't need it? Modern man, you need the word of God more. I'm sure somebody can explain that. I, I, I know. I hope nobody asks me. I, I, I just, and some of this, and you know, I, I just, I just kind of like Jesus. Yep. My friend, Jesus is in the Old Testament as well. Jesus was there in Genesis 1.1. But this is the, he is, he is postulating the attitude of many modern day Christians today. That's one, I guess, good thing you see out of this, the presupposition that's brought out. And sometimes it eliminates honesty. And us conservatives, and I'm so conservative theologically. Andy, you are not a conservative theologically. <laughs> uh, no, no, no conservative theologically says what you says about the scripture. And let's be honest, what you've said about LGBTQ issues, which you're, I, I honestly, I think much of this is undergirded in Andy Stanley's um, compromising on those issues. And I think he's trying to slowly, um, come out on those things pardon the pun us conservatives trend that way because we were told most of us were told this at children as children any error or put it this way an error in any part of it undermines the credibility of all of it yeah i mean i would agree with that <laughs> andy what, what what if jesus you know, didn't die on the cross. I mean, what if, what is this is errors? What, what if you found an alleged error? Would you still believe in the resurrection again? I mean, obviously I'm, I'm throwing up hypothetical impossibility, right? There's no question. Jesus died on the cross, but Andy's open to all these errors. I mean, the problem is again, the Bible says it's from God. All right, let's get into the last clip here. Cause this one's very interesting. Cause he, for the first time really gets into scripture on the issue therefore having heard both sides it is my judgment therefore and he's bringing up acts 15 right acts 15 19 right and uh trying to make some application on this matter be careful on making application that literally contradicts the text and scripture as a whole that we should not make it difficult for the gentiles who are turning to god why would we make it unnecessarily difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God? Why make something that is not an essential to their faith an essential, which becomes an obstacle? He's so essentially, Andy is saying, hey, don't make something difficult that will keep people 
away from the faith. Well, okay, Andy Stanley, you know, that whole uh, repentance of sin, that sounds difficult. So, hey, guess we scratched that off the list, right? Oh, Andy, that whole, uh, you know, sin in general. (laughs) I don't like that part. Yeah, that's kind of difficult. So why don't we scratch that part off the list? See, when you have a foundation that isn't starting off what the Bible says, but rather, does this make it difficult? And then it's up to each individual person to determine what's difficult for them. So guess what? You have the adulterer saying, hey, I don't like all the stuff on the adultery. Scratch that off the list. Okay, yeah, we'll accept your adultery. Hey, you have the drunkard over here saying, I don't like all the stuff about the drunkardness. Yeah, I guess we got to scratch that off too. So, hey, guess what? You could be a drunkard, be in our church, right? You have the murderer. Oh, hold on. We don't allow the murderer because we don't. <laughs> you see how, how subjective this is? Talking about his own Bible. James, are you saying that the God's law as, as revealed through Moses is a potential obstacle to faith in Jesus and James and Peter and Paul would say yeah so God's law is a obstacle no that, that's not even the point of Acts 15 the point of Acts 15 is they were requiring people essentially become Jews before they get into into the Christian faith and um, what, what does what does J, what what does James do what do the apostles do that Andy Stanley wouldn't like to do they rooted it in the scripture. Go to Acts 15. Matter of fact, let, let me show you. Acts 15. Start at verse 15. And he says, and with this words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. So they give their delineate, uh, you know, their delineation of the, uh, I was about to say conference, the council. And then they say, hey. The, the scriptures already agree with this. And then quote scripture after this, I will return. I will build the tent of David that has fallen. I will build its ruins and I will restore it at the remnant of mankind. And may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Right. Why are we forbidden Gentiles when the scriptures foretell of the Gentiles coming into the faith as well? So Andy Stanley, uh, and then there is law given if you read verse 20. But so, Again, what Andy Stanley said is not true. It, it's it's not even true. Just just read the Bible. This is why context is important, guys. That's why I preach that. But let's continue. Let's not make it difficult. We should not make it difficult. And we shouldn't either. The Bible. And the even if you accept what he said, that had absolutely nothing to do with an inerrancy of Scripture. Make a coherent, be careful of someone who goes to a text and makes some kind of application, one that contradicts other places of scripture, but has nothing to do with the point there. Go to where, Andy, go to where scripture says there are errors. You can believe that and be perfectly fine. God spoke wrong and hey, that's, that's okay. I mean, you see how silly it sounds when you actually explain his argument back to him? Should never be an obstacle. To someone's faith and decision to follow Jesus. Is the Bible important? Of course it's important. Is it essential? Yes, it's essential to the discovering the story and building our faith. But, and so what would we say is the essential? If we're going to you know, have a, an, an eighth statement, and here's what I came up with that I think encapsulates the big picture of why or what a person has to believe about the Bible in terms of... So listen to what you... Well, here's what you have to believe about the Bible. You ready? what it means to follow Jesus, what a person has to believe about the Bible to follow Jesus. And I kind of teased it out this way. Here's what you have to believe, that the Bible documents God's redemptive activity in the world culminating in the arrival of his final king. So here's my translation. The Bible tells you some stuff that happened in history. That's pretty much what he's saying. Okay, obviously, (laughs) that didn't tell you what to believe about the Bible, though. Get this. The Bible is the backstory and the main story. The Old Testament, it's, it's fabulous. The Old Testament is a saga of God's people clinging to Yahweh as he prepares the world. But again, it, it, there's people who attack all that, the historicity of all that. So would you say any, they could reject some of those historical stuff? I mean, people reject the Exodus. 
<laughs> this, again, reducing all this to history doesn't actually solve your problem. For his final king. It, it's, it's, it's ancient history with a divine purpose. It, it's, you've read it. It's a graphic account, so graphic account of God wading into the mess created by sin to see the story of your redemption and the story of our salvation played out to its bloody and bitter, crucify him, crucify him, end. Honestly. You know what I was just thinking about? He, he, he kept talking about obstacles, obstacles to the faith, right? If it's, an, if it's difficult, we shouldn't make, preach things as difficult to keep people away from the faith. That's the very thing you have in Acts 17, though. Isn't that? They were they they were mocking the resurrection. What, what did Paul do? Hold on, hold on. You don't gotta believe it. No, some came to faith. Some said. Others said. We'll listen. Some rejected. We do not have permission to reject what the Word of God says because we believe it'll be difficult for them. What happened to this view of with man, with man? It's impossible. With God, it's 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 possible, right? All things are possible. Preach what God said, right? We preach what God says, even if it is difficult to man. Hope you guys enjoyed this video. Thank you for watching. Hope you learned something uh, while watching this video. It's an important topic in light of today's conversation, guys. Till next time, grace and peace. Yo, guys, thank you for watching this video. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, why don't you go and leave me a like? Subscribe to the channel if it's your first time here. Hit that notification bell. I promise to give you weekly content, lives, interacting, exposing false teachers, showing you my theological beliefs and what I believe the Bible teaches. So if you're here for that, go on and join us. Amen.